Hey guys, welcome to episode 34 of the JV Club. A little bit of an accent there for no good reason. Feel like I need to apologize for that or continue doing the weird non-accent. Nope, just going to apologize for it and not do it again. I'm so uh, happy to have you with me for episode 34 with Stephanie Escajeda. She is a marvelous stand-up uh, comic. She's a marvelous improviser. She's a marvelous actress. She is. She's done a bunch of guest stars uh, on television. You also have probably seen her in about a billion commercials. I hate to exaggerate. A billion may be uh, excessive, but it is quite a lot. I'm talking about me seeing her in commercials all the time, even though I don't even watch commercial television, really. But sometimes when I'm fast-forwarding through commercials, uh, during an episode of The Good Wife, I notice her. Guys, The Good Wife is so good. Um, I'm sure many of you disagree with me, but maybe some of you agree with me. You can't know until you put it out there, right? Um, I wanted to throw some shout outs out there. Uh, David C. sent me such a lovely email about uh, his experience being a dad and his daughter that I wanted to even read a little sliver of it. I don't have it in front of me, but I think next week I'm going to read just a couple of snippets of it. Uh, Also, that gave me the opportunity to use the word snippets. Um, On the Lizzie Kaplan Nerdist page, Paul Curtis, Todd, Melissa, Gregory, Alec, and Mark had weighed in the last time I checked. I want to thank them for their feedback. And I want to thank everyone's feedback who took the time to tell me over some form of social media how marvelous Lizzie and Priscilla were on the live episode. I couldn't agree with you more. I loved Priscilla's, uh, all of her songs, all three songs that she sang, uh, of course, in particular, Back Before We Were Brittle, just because it means something sentimentally to me as it is the podcast theme. And I've probably listened to it 25 times since she recorded it. I want to thank Lauren, Steve K, Shannon, Morgan, Aaron, Ron H, Margaret, Jocelyn, and Chris B on Twitter. Regular thanks and shout outs to Victoria and Jules, to Heather and to Chris P, uh, and to Rebecca. Just you guys, you know, every week consistently are just fantastic. And of course, um, Stephanie and uh, Susan as well. And on Facebook, Adriana F., uh, Manuel B., Oz, A-S. I'm not sure how to say that, but it's as simple as A-S. The letter's A-S, but I know that's your first name. You are in another country. And I want to thank you for listening to the JV Club. And finally, Heidi on Facebook. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I don't think I have any other big news for you other than that we are feverishly planning SF Sketch Fest, the San Francisco Comedy Festival, which takes place January 25th through February 10th in San Francisco next year. And I'm so excited about all the shows we're working on. Uh, I I hope that you guys will check out our website um, as we add updates to it in the coming weeks, and which is sfsketchfest.com. It's the, you don't find anything terribly current there right now because we're in the midst of building some some great new stuff. But um, I hope you'll come and see a show or two. There are a lot of uh, a lot of comedians that you will uh, enjoy coming, and um, I would be delighted to meet you face to face and say hello. It's worth a trip out to San Francisco. I promise you that, and we'll have lots of great hotels deals and stuff too. So wanted to say that. Also wanted to say that I did some recording for Cora recently and it was a joy as well. I cannot wait. Um, and things are just moving along at HuffPost Live. So lots of cool stuff going on. Um, and uh, the coolest of, of all, I would say, is uh, the stuff that I get from you guys. I know I've said that before. I still mean it. It's still true. Um, JV Club is uh, like my emotionally my favorite thing ever. You guys uh, and your and your notes just um, you keep my energy up uh, with everything that's going on, and um, I can't I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. So thanks for that. Enjoy this episode, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. 
Now entering Nerdist.com. Cloudy October day. I have to say this is my favorite weather. I'm very excited that it, that that whatever this is hasn't gone away yet. Is it supposed to rain today? It's supposed to rain tomorrow. Fantastic. It's been misty, drizzly. Though. I'll take wonderful. it. Wonderful. I'll take it in this cadence, in this voice, and this yeah. this low, this register, this like NPR cloudy day register. Let's just talk about everything this way. Let's talk about every. Gull danged thing. The person who talks in that voice doesn't say gall danged, I don't no. think. I'm not sure what they say. They don't say goddamn, but they definitely don't say gall danged. Um, the person who talks like this is so relaxed that they don't even need to use expletives uh, or substitutions for expletives. Well, they've definitely been drinking cozy tea, cucumber white. How is the cucumber white tea? It's delicious. It's good, right? Thank you. Um, if this were that this is like I think I've said this on one podcast before, but it's really easy to accidentally morph into um, imagining. I don't know when I read articles, magazine articles, interviewing celebrities. Like it feels like I guess I haven't even bothered reading any interviews with celebrities recently because I can't speak to whether or not people are still doing this, or maybe it's just something someone finally stopped doing. You guys can fill me in if you like reading interviews with celebrities. But um, the description of like women. Like, it, like reading reading oh. a Seventeen magazine interview with like whoever, it would always be like their face is freshly scrubbed. There's not they may you know there's a like they they're not wearing any makeup. They mm. look younger than their blah 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 years. They and then you find out exactly what they ordered and while they're sitting together and like th- that sort of descriptor feels so generic to me that like you know Stephanie. Stephanie brushed her, you know, glossy brown hair back and took a sip of her cucumber white tea. That's exactly what I did. I had a, oh, sorry, Scott. I had a um, a roommate who was a celebrity interviewer and he had come back from, he brought me, oh, who was it? Penelope Cruz. Mm. He'd brought me some Ralph Lauren perfume she was hawking at the time or whatever. <laughs> but he said that he has that you have to do that because you ultimately only are meeting them at some coffee shop and you right. have no you have they really have just washed their face and shown up to a coffee <laughs> shop and you don't know them right. and you have no way of entering the idea of interviewing them except to say she looks like she washed her face and she's <laughs> drinking something delicious. This is very interesting. This idea that you have now kind of exposed the raw truth that, in fact, yes, there is a rhythm to these interviews because they all are like that. Of course, they all end yeah. up starting like that because that's all you can talk about is what they look like, what they ordered. Yeah. And well, then not gonna- hope that you get into some meat of the interview. The author of the interview cannot author the author of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> these celebrity interviews uh, can't say we'll send you know since the six years I've known this person duh, yeah. duh, duh, they have to be like since I've known them since ten fifteen yeah and it's ten twenty seven they do seem you- <laughs> lovely do you think that people skip some people skip past that and by virtue of using like 
you know, other (laughs) (laughs) teleportation. Teleportation. Do you think they teleport into the future? No, but like some, maybe some interviewers skip past that by using other people's or just their body of work. Like, I feel like I've read interviews where people are like, so-and-so made a splash and blah, blah, blah when they da 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 But no, they still have to frame it like where the interview took place. Does anyone really care though? There are some cool magazines like hipster magazines where you just get like a paragraph of what this person's done and then you just see like the interviewer's initials and the first question. Right. They don't get into like describing the slouchy bat wing sleeved <laughs> sweatshirt and seven jeans that you know i think well we started this saying 17 magazine was where we're reading celebrity (laughs) interviews and also i can't remember the last time i've read a magazine cover to cover except for real simple that's how i love real simple i love whole living yeah whole living is a joy but then somebody else has sunset magazine exactly i'm i grew up in california so sunset's my jam well you know sunset has the regional differences too and i'm from arizona so yeah yeah, i would read the arizona issue interesting and then uh, the northern california issue because i lived in san francisco they go they go i think they go no cal so cal Gosh, I didn't even know. I no, think I, that regionally they might even separate this. NoCal, SoCal, but I could be wrong about that. Hmm. But I do love Sunset Magazine. I have binders full of women. I have binders full. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. I have binders full of like tear out, you know, tearing out. I don't, it's hard for me to, I mean, if I kept every magazine, you I have guess Pinterest, I do keep, You have Pinterest, but I have Pinterest actually... Binders. You have a, a Pinterest in your closet. I straight up do. I'm gonna physical get one right Pinterest. Now. I'm gonna not... show you and get one right now. Feel free to keep talking. <laughs> okay. I I can't even. Uh, Pinterest is something that I'm. Uh, I I haven't even been able to delve into it. I only do it as almost like a saving things, like using bookmarks. I can't do it. the only thing I have on Pinterest. Super unprofessional guys off mic. Sorry. The only thing I have off Pinterest is oh my gosh, um, you do have tear sheets. Is uh is the JV Club, but I love Pinterest, but I just don't have any time to be on the computer unless it's work related. It's kind of sad. Um, ah. Yeah. So Stephanie is leafing through like you see from the subject heading like that one like I gave you whatever. But okay, the, these you, are like Southern California weekend right. trips that I really would like to take. First but of all, I two things. First of all, two things. Yeah. One, I have no idea. There's no subject head. Oh, there, oh, there is. Southern is. California. Uh-huh. But here's the other thing. You don't just have tear sheets. You have them set into and bound in uh, plastic coverings. So yeah, this you- is. these are these really cool. There's this Japanese bookstore that I love. That is, There's a Japanese bookstore in San Francisco that I um, went to forever. And then there's a Japanese bookstore that's similar down here. And they have the best like folders and binders. And they're very, you know, they're but just they, beautifully. And so, yeah, so I, bu- I buy them, them there. for people that are willing to use them. Yes. I have stacks yes. of torn out pieces of... <laughs> yeah torn out magazines you have gone to the trouble to put them in. The i did plastic. i started that, that a couple years you. ago because it was getting overwhelming i have one for like recipes and then also that's in california i also have a travel binder that's outside of california that's separated by region like oh here's the portland seattle vancouver uh, section uh, uh, here's the new york section here's the i have to i have to blow your mind a little bit more Please i just do. opened up a blue binder that janet handed me it was the top binder the second page of it that I look at is San Diego. Yeah. It is my friend from high school's restaurant. Shut up. She's the manager. She was supposed to come up today. I just texted with her right before I was here. And she is pictured oh my carrying God. a beer to somebody. Oh, my God. She was in my wedding. 
this woman. Oh my god! Isn't that weird? I mean, speaking of like what we're you that know, is so random. I just randomly picked. You ran- I mean, I was I was even like, I is just she really going to go get those binders? binders? I don't know even. I don't know why I bothered doing that. Yep. I, but I. But this is the thing: is that we. I do sort of. I'm going through this phase, and I'm, I'm sure like 90 percent of the listener. Um, you've heard us talk about like spirituality and religion and stuff. And, and I think uh, I've, I'm very interested in what people believe in and stuff. And I'm very agnostic, but there, when stuff like that happens and when I go through certain pockets of my life, and maybe it is when I'm feeling more like searchy or seeky and it's about my own vulnerability or my fragility. Um, when you start looking for meaning in things, Mm. like, I don't know. I think I go through periods of time where I'm almost atheistic, where I'm just like, I don't think twice about the meaning of the universe or anything like that. I just feel like people are cool. That's, you know, I'm a secular humanist, whatever. And then I go through these periods where I, where I feel like I'm, I'm seeking more and I'm more kind of looking for those signs. And in a situation like this, like the place I'm in my my life right now, maybe because we just went to Stephanie and just, just traveled to Ojai together for a, a weekend getaway with some other wonderful ladies. And, uh, and, and when stuff like this happens, I start getting, I, I think I'm back in that place where I'm like, that is means everything is as it should be exactly which i don't know where what i'm basing that off of but when stuff like that happens i do i feel like everything is as it should be i don't know what that means i don't know that i mean that i'm saying that like the universe is making this happen it might just mean i'm more open i don't know i mean there would be a different time in my life where i would have opened this up and i would have been like whoa janet wait hold on hold on this is blowing my mind and right now we have to stop stop. doing the podcast and just talk about this like alone together but it for me i opened it and it was like that that makes sense that um that she handed me something i and then i opened it up to see one of my best friends in the world like <laughs> so crazy pictured on the and who somebody who was i was supposed to see today physically but i'm seeing them now just with my eyes it's i mean weird. let's i mean that's really yeah it's it really crazy is amazing it's completely it's, crazy but i'm super comfortable with it san like, diego yeah, that and that sense. of course i've been thinking about it a lot because of doing this podcast and i know that you talk a lot about high school and yeah. where you came from and stuff so it's weird that the second page of the first book <laughs> is san diego my friend manages and helped open this restaurant and that she's pictured bringing somebody beer it's that just is pretty and i don't crazy. it makes me not want to flip any other pages I don't leave because it. it'll just ruin it because i'll be like i don't know that plan <laughs> i don't know that restaurant feel free to leave it feel i'm gonna leave, to leave them. it all but i'm i'm I, I am in awe of your organization uh on thank the blue you, one not the but <laughs> yeah no the, the the i don't know what that one is either is that the home that yeah see there's too much going on home, in that yeah. one because there then i have like stuff about gardening in there but i also just have like this room is cool right but then i also have like here's here's the guide to when cosmetics expire i probably have that in there that i tore out and thought i really need to remember how long i should keep my mascara and i've never looked at it since well it's like you haven't moved past the fact that there are search engines now that will tell you almost anything you need to know and that you don't need to rip out a piece of the magazine i do it too i forget i do too i'm like i gotta write this down this is a really well laid out article about how to throw away your cosmetics at the right time oh my god you're so right what produce should stay on the counter and what should go oh, in the refrigerator no, i'm so I you're right i still tear out because i do still like your visual the physical yeah. representation i guess you're a visual learner maybe but mm. i'm not but i don't but having said that i don't feel like i hang on to stuff sentimentally 
that I probably should. Like here I am saving that stuff, but then like some old like, like, a, like a letter a from my dead grandma. <laughs> Seriously, huh. gotta toss this. And she wrote it after she died. I mean, that's really a reason to hold on to uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she came back from the dead and she wrote me a impeccable letter. penmanship for yep. not being able to actually, as a specter, hold a pen. Exactly. Yeah. Were you? Do you? Did you have close? You had a close relationship with your with at least one of your grandmothers. I know. I did. I had. Um, were they? Well, were your grandparents like a big part of your life when you were growing up? Did you see them a lot? I never had grandfathers. I had only grandmothers um, because my grandfathers both died early, and my my dad's father died when he was five, and my mom's father died when she was thirteen. So I never oh, had grandfathers, wow. except for a step grandfather on my maternal side. But my. Uh, grandmother loretta is my child now is julia loretta so she has her middle name and i just kind of admired her strength but she was a very more of a standoffish grandma i mean that's unfair to say she just was very egalitarian like she would get us all the same gifts to make sure that nobody felt like they were more special than the other person. Interesting. Um, so we always got like Gloria Vanderbilt, like etiquette books or rock people that she had made out of rocks and then painted. Oh, I like rock people. Well, Those two things you, as don't six, really go. I don't know what I thought would be a follow yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. getting like a, a follow up to Gloria Vanderbilt person. or a rock person. <laughs> yeah. Those are two very different things. When you want like a matchbox car or something. But yeah. And then my other grandmother would periodically live with us. She was older, and so she, and she, and I, we called her Lita, which is short for Abuelita. And she would just live and then just kind of follow us around, screaming at us to take our school clothes off. Not screaming. Is this your, which mom? Which this mom, is my you, dad's. Your dad's mom. Yeah, my dad's mom. And so she would take the bus and get in, in on the Greyhound, and she would come into San Diego Station, and then she would just be there for months, just doing yard work and making tamales. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Oh, I love tamales. She just was homemade tamales. Yes, please. I know. Well, believe me. It, but it's weird because I was going to say that the one thing, the one word I would say characterizes my upbringing was like this is dichotomy. I had this weird, because you look at my face, I'm like white as a lily. And then I would have this like abuelita at home making me tamales, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. But do you speak, You but you you definitely speak Spanish. I speak Spanish, but I taught myself Spanish. Not taught myself. That's so it's not something that your so family... Cool. Well, no, but... My my dad would speak it to my grandmother. My grandmother was always speaking Spanish around the house, but not to... Um, that's right. Uh, not to uh, to me. Mm-hmm. They would just look at me like... Weeks. You, you're white, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, your mo- so your mom was... My mom like was... A- I, well, Irish-German descent, but... Um, yeah, she, I mean, and you have to think about it. My dad married white women, right? So there was a bit of him that wasn't looking to like further la raza. Right. Well, he was born in El Paso and didn't speak English until the, his dad died and they moved to East LA and then Sacramento later. And then my, um, basically like he, so he was born in 1930. I have an older dad and he was teased mercilessly for being Hispanic at the time, you know, being like a Latino in California in high school, 1945. They're yeah. just like, you speak, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't mean to, sorry to offend anybody with a racial slur, but that's what he's called. Yeah. Anyways. And then I, I looked at his yearbook, uh, recently and it had, um, 
descript uh, one of those future predictions, and they would they mentioned everyone in the class of what they'd be doing in the future, and they said that he would be operating a burrito stand. You are in the me. shadow of a towering office building where so so and so other people were. You working. have got to be kidding no, me! No, and guess what? He was the valedictorian of his class. Oh my god! So that's in his crazy. senior high school yearbook, they're calling the valedictorian like a burrito stand oh. operator. So he he said he never wanted to teach us Spanish because he never wanted us to have an accent. Wow. Because he, he had this weird ingrained fear that it would hold us back. Totally understood. But so like the opposite of what's it's true so now. so weird to like, yeah, of <laughs> course, of course. But, so, but yeah, talk about really being able to just track the sense of shame that just got pounded into him. Yeah. But. Whether he did, chose to embrace it or not. But like just, just to constantly have someone essentially saying like you're less than you're less than you're yeah. less than you're less than and even our so i mean my like my my lita she was a single parent and she was a property owner and she had like an eighth grade ed- education but she was a totally self-made woman she sent both of her kids to private catholic schools wow. and through medical school my dad met, went to medical school but she was and she would do it by by being rental properties and like working in canneries and canning peaches and all these things. So it was really interesting uh, because then she would say, she would say, no somos mexicanos, somos vascos. And it was like, that means we're not Mexican, we're Basque. So she was even trying to be like, no, it's Basque. It's more Basque. Even though she was born in Mexico, she had a very Basque last name, but still she was, she, for her, even there was a sense of like, no, 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 no. We're, let's skip it's over fancier. what that... It's somehow yeah. fancier than... We're European, we're not. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting... So for you growing up in San Diego, what, did you go to pr- uh, public school or private school? I went to private school. Um, and, and speaking of, that was another thing. So I live 10 minutes north of the Mexican border. Like, I, I, you could see Mexico from different people's houses. You go to sleep over and you'd be like, there's Mexico. Yeah. So the idea of being Mexican, like, in San Diego is very relative. You know, you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're Mexican because your dad is. That person's Mexican because their dad and their mom is. That person's Mexican because... They just drove from Mexico today, right. and they will drive back after school today right. Right. to live in Mexico. Right. So, so you're saying that you went to school, private school, with kids who were Mexican? Oh yeah, in high school there was like um, oh, that was like a big um, part. Like some of the po- most popular kids, they were like super wealthy Mexican kids that would drive from Tijuana every day to go to school. That's so interesting. Yeah. I can't believe I'm about to out myself as being this un- uninformed, but for some reason. I guess I didn't realize that you could be a teenager driving yourself into the United States to go to private school from Mexico every day. I, I don't, of course you no. could, but yeah. for some reason that just didn't occur to me. And I live um, 30 minutes north of the, essentially, or maybe an hour from in Tucson from Nogales. And so oh, right. it was very much like obviously the border and Mexico and all that stuff. And people go to Nogales the same way people go to Tijuana. And all my classes were ESL from, ESL, SSL from K through six. Wow. Um, but so do you know Spanish at all? Well, that's so sad because the first, so, so, so I skipped kindergarten, but first, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, sixth grade. Um, I also clearly don't know how to count, but, uh, the first, all the schools that I went to were, um, in the barrio and they were all, they were magnet schools. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it was it all it always had to be that 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 whites were the minority you know it was like the rule of those magnet schools of uh that program that it had to be like it couldn't be more than 49 percent white and then 51 percent everybody whoever else right in the for in large part it was hispanic kids but there were definitely african-american kids and um and certainly asian kids and stuff like that but dude by and large i would say it was whites and hispanics esl english is a second language that then, Many of these kids did not speak very good English. But I'm saying so yeah. the, the primary uh, language that was spoken there would be Spanish. It would be this. It would be it would be that we spoke English and Spanish in the classroom that at a certain point um, every week, maybe even every day, I can't I honestly can't remember, but um, the the SSL kids would go would for part of the day would go learn Spanish mm. and the ESL kids would go learn English and then the rest of the day we were taught in in both languages with like references to both and 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 all the holidays that I celebrated were basically um, more Mexican based so like instead of Christmas we celebrated Las Posadas I mean it's the same but right. but the traditions are a little bit different and so when we were just in Ojai we had we someone had made cascarones for us and oh, right. that's like I grew up with that every year of my childhood on Cinco de Mayo and love, love, love like all of those, the traditions of like making tissue paper flowers and right. Dia de los Muertos and like all of the, all of that stuff um, was just such a huge part of my growing up that I completely love it. And so every Christmas here, I go to Olvera Street for their Las Posadas oh, wow, um, cool. little kind of parade thing. And, um, and I love it. Now, having said that, all the Spanish basically went away when I started taking French. I just got super um, confused. Yeah. And so now even like when I volunteer and there are kids who don't or parents who don't speak English, they can speak to me in Spanish. And I do a pretty decent job of understanding. And I open my mouth to say something back. And all I can think of is either English or French. Like I can't right. make the. Well, again, if you don't practice any language, you're going to lose it. Right. So, yeah. And that's and I have that all the time because people don't assume I would speak Spanish. So they just are speaking to me in English and then I'll answer them in Spanish and then they'll answer me back in English. And I'm like, yeah. who's going to who's going to win here? <laughs> Then we have to both, we're sizing each other up. Whose Spanish or English is worse (laughs) in this? Yeah. But yeah, I went to... Did you take Spanish in public school or was... No, I didn't go to public school. I I mean, uh, um, private school. Sorry, that's right. Well, I went to eight years of Catholic uh, elementary. So it was St. Rose of Lima in Chula Vista. And then I went to um, four years of all girls Catholic high school. And we took, I took Spanish for four years there i think you didn't have to take all four years you could only take for three but then i took in my i was a latin american studies major at college so so you were so it's so interesting. I, took, I took classes like completely in spanish in college like and wrote 30 page papers in spanish but then i would then i and yeah i just sort of i i, I threw myself into it because i'm like if i'm going to be an escajeda i should know this right but isn't that so interesting <laughs> nobody feels, else prioritized it well yeah well that's the thing right is i mean it feels so interesting that you it is sort of some version of when we talk about you know parents who are super republican and their kids end up being so liberal and parents who are super liberal and their kids end up growing up republican mm. like pieces of that where your family wasn't necessarily instilling that sense of pride. I mean, if your dad, well, he I mean, did, what, he didn't have yeah, this sense of right. pride. And so the fact, that, the, point. The fact yeah. that you were raised that way and yeah. that you were like, wait a minute now. Well, I saw it though as also like, I mean, knowing a second language is just being able to communicate with more people in the world is a better, uh, for me, I would, I would like to have access to other people's minds by way of their language. So, that hasn't thrown me into study of 
any other language. I mean, I, Portuguese a little bit, but like terrible. I speak terrible Portuguese. But isn't Portuguese so it. hard to learn? I mean, the movie Phenomenon taught us that. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see Phenomenon. Um, but yeah, I uh, I would say that my, well, my brother, Andy, uh, I have several brothers. Um, my brother, Andy, uh, went to Columbia for a year when he was in high school. He did an exchange student program. And then in the 84 Olympics in LA, he was like a translator for oh, wow. Spanish. So some people went and they, they tr- really tried to learn Spanish just as a, like, again, you have the last name Escajeda for your life and you just, there are a lot of assumptions made one by your face being super white uh-huh. and the other one by your last name being Hispanic, obviously. So people kind of were like, Oh, hablas español. And you're like, eh, not really. <laughs> not really. Let me get on that. Are, yeah. But you are. How many brothers do you have? Well, tricky question. No, I have a, I have nine brothers. Whoa, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. All from the same mom and dad? No, no, that's why the question's tricky. I probably could have guessed that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, my dad had eight kids from his first wife and then two kids from my mom. And now he's married to another woman. So her name's Lynn. <laughs> uh, so eight she, kids from the first marriage yeah, is kind of astonishing. That brother Andy, who I was talking about, he passed away when I was in high school, actually. So mm. that's, yeah. What, he, um, how did you live with all of those kids when you no. as like growing up? And what are the age differences from that first marriage and those eight kids? Uh, well, the difference between the youngest and the first eight and me is, um, 11 years. So, there's an eight year difference between the two sets of kids. But I, I, again, that was another thing that is one of the, I, I nobody told us we were half. <laughs> I mean, for uh, obviously my brothers knew because my dad had cheated on their mom with my mom, mm. which I didn't find out till I was a, like a junior in high school. Wow. But, um, when my mom when my dad was cheating with the woman that he's married to now. So I was like, how dare he do that to my mother? And I was complaining to my brothers and they were like, uh, (laughs) real quick, (laughs) maybe we should let you know that that's how your mom's married to mine. Yeah. Dad. So, uh, but so, so eight of them are from the first marriage and we were never told that they were half. So I would, their mom would come to pick them up or something. I would ask like, how am I related to her? Is she my mom too? Or is she like an aunt? Like, what is that? And it was so weird when people like, you're not related to her at all. And it was like, no, that's not, that's not true. Because it's fascinating. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. But yeah, so I, it was like the biggest insult in the world to be called like half. If or nobody would have even nobody would have said it to to each other at that time. Yeah. But and then that was weird because uh, weird is not the best descriptor for my life. Weird. It was weird. Uh, but when I because I was the youngest and the only girl, so that being a part of the family just meant being a little bit more masculine. I mean, not that you had to kind of belly up to the bar and ask for sloppy Joes to get fed or something, but <laughs> yeah, I love that's your definition. <laughs> I know <laughs> the idea, the idea, first of all, that there's a bar inside yeah, your house, in my house, at well, which, kind of, at which there's like a, a terrine of sloppy Joes <laughs> that yeah, I, just, every, I love everything about it. And then everyone's got chaps on. Yeah, it's there's some kind of dinner triangle. <laughs> yeah. clink, 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 clink. Everybody come get sloppy Joes. I love 
No, the the um, no, I. But I. But I, it feels like it could have gone the opposite direction too. It feels like you could have been like super feminine girl, like the only girl in the family. Oh, I know. I well, first of all, my mom is kind of masculine. Like she only listens to sports radio in her car. God bless her. And um, she had a master's in family counseling, so she was really into like gender neutral. My room was green. She was very anti that pinks and the blues idea about. And as, if you know how I dress, it makes total sense <laughs> how I came out uh, because I but dress kind of like a dude. Well, I think that's one of the reasons that you and I like hit it off really well. I mean, yeah. I always say that. I've said that on the podcast with a couple of other girls before who I feel like aren't necessarily as feminine. I think I, what I've under, come to understand is that I think I had my own weird distorted sense of what gender meant and that most women are way more like us than I thought yes, as I got older I, right. as I got older I started to realize like either I'm just only drawn to women like this or people are much more neutral than I gave them credit for growing up I think I singled myself out yeah. as being somehow different but I'm not even sure that that's true and the way that I'm perceived by other people isn't the same as the way that I perceive myself which is I always think true. that I have this really I, exactly. masculine energy and other people are like you're crazy totally I remember wearing a skirt to some show or something and somebody said oh you're that's a beautiful skirt and I and this woman who was saying it to me is was ultra feminine and I said I said, well, yeah, you probably wear stuff like this all the time. She was like, I've never worn a skirt. And I was, it, I, I couldn't have thought she was more feminine. And I thought I was being super outside my comfort zone by yeah. trying to be really feminine. But they were like, you're rocking that skirt. And I'm, now I'm, now I just am what I am. I dress masculine on the weekends, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I'm part of it bit. too, right? Is that when we, like being down here, the way that I, there, I went through a phase when I got, when I was getting used to being in LA where I really had a little bit of an identity crisis because I was coming down from San Francisco having had like super, super short hair and a tattoo and, um, where's your tattoo? It's gone. I had it removed. Your, isn't that crazy? Kidding. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't get, I mean, and nobody knew how to cover it because it was so dark. It was just two really solid black bands oh my god that's amazing um, but i but i so i kind of came down you can sort of see the you're kidding me you can't see anything um, i would have never known that, crazy? that is wow there's when the, did you get a, a tattoo like there when i was i think 19 <gasps> i almost got a tattoo when i was 16 i got a, uh my and actually my friend dominique who is in that picture from the, the album um she had gotten one and my dad was a plastic surgeon and he, and sh so she covered it up with a bandaid when she was around her father because her father was, you know, um, very, uh, would have been very strict and not, and against that. And so when her mom found out that she had the tattoo, she took her to my dad to just have it removed before her dad found out oh, that wow. she'd even ever gotten it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's pretty amazing. I hid my tattoo from my dad until it was almost all the way gone. Oh, wow. For yeah. like 10 years. Wow. And I didn't really want to get rid of it, but I, but I needed to get rid of it for work. But, oh, well, all I was going to say was just the, the gender, I, or the sort of, I, the, that sort of identity crisis was all of a sudden I was going to auditions where I felt like I would read the description of the character and she was like supposed to be so cute and pretty and feminine and stuff that I had to buy like, you know, we talk, we joke sometimes in LA about audition clothes, yeah. but I, I had to buy audition clothes cause I didn't ever, I mean, I wear sports bras and you know, like boy clothes ish kind of stuff. And I like old vintage dresses and I feel like there's no room for my bust in certain like sixties, eight like dresses. Right. And, 
Um, and so, and I felt like I had to go out and buy like push up bras and, and shirts that showed my cleavage and stuff. And I had like a feminist crisis for a little while. Wow. Cause I was like this person like, Oh, it's supposed to be so fun that I'm dressing up as a character. But now I'm starting to feel like what, like, like you, what do people perceive me as right. anymore? You know, if I'm, if, if I'm auditioning almost every day and I'm walking around and by, and I'm not even saying that, like I, I wasn't dressing super promiscuously or provocatively, I guess, mm. um, whatever that even means. But just the difference in like what I would get dressed in every day was so, so different from how I dressed in San Francisco. Right. That it kind of was now I feel like I don't care. And I am also lucky in that I don't have to go to auditions very often because of my current job. But, right. Well, um, I, I feel like I've, I feel like I've come a long way. I've had a lot. I feel like I have a lot of gender uh, crises or a lot of wounds around that or something in, in a spiritual sense. Because of I, I'm clearly I'm of a family, so that so that's the thing. When it would be Christmas, the activity for the afternoon was of not we all as sisters sit around and play dolls. It was like you all as a family go out and play basketball. But being that I was tiny because I was the youngest, and I was a girl, which that did they just didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know they thought I'd be interested in dolls, but I was interested in being a part of my family. So I wanted to play basketball with everybody. But so then I, I mean, I cried the day that I found out that women were physically less strong than men, like as an actual physical reality, because I, I guess I just had wanted to belong. Really. It felt like I wanted to belong to my family set so much more. And that there was just this differentiation between me and the rest of what, because a big family acts a lot like a clan. You you call yourself by your last names, and Escajeras are this way, and and of course because I I, I grew up Catholic, I know a lot of really big family people. Um, so it is there's this like clan mentality, this desire to belong because there's so many people there to influence your world. God, you just I just couldn't have had a more opposite experience. My You're an only not, child, no? And neither of my parents ever remarried and my dad had sole custody. Well, he didn't he had primary custody of me. I saw my mom uh a couple days a week, but I was so close with my dad and my and it was the complete opposite. It was like Janet and Phil against the world. It was oh, like wow. my dad, like just the two of us. A I little think- bit with his sister and her child, like my cousin, but um, my cousin Julian, who I've had on the podcast, um, but Julian's 10 years older than me. And so we had my, I had like an extraordinary group of family friends who felt mm. like family, but they were all scattered. So I never, ever, ever had that feeling like that because my mom's side of the family is huge because it's Mormon. So I have like 11 cousins. I might be wrong. It might be only 10, but, um, but, uh, but I never, and I love my cousins and, but I, I, we never were together ever, ever, ever. So like there were like, we had one family reunion where our whole family's been there. That's oh, it. Wow. And so I just never had that. Like what you're saying, what you're talking about is so fascinating to me because it's so opposite well, and interesting. Because I would, you know, I had all these older brothers. It was like, there was somewhat of, and they didn't live with us. It was a parade of, of adult, issues coming through the house because they would come home to to either spend time with my dad or consult him about things or one return to live after like a marijuana arrest it was just there was a lot of i mean yeah i I'm, my brothers definitely were part of my my picture that almost 
nobody sees because it's your family life. But again, like if you have a if you have a brother who is uh, right at the beginning of because my brother who passed away he di- he had AIDS he had a cardiac arrest related to that and that was basically the um, right in the center of he died in 1991 no 1990 anyways it was right at the um, the break of the uh, um, I mean that the the mass hysteria it was right before like any kind of cocktail drug treatment would come that would maybe allow sure. people to live longer so. It, how much did you understand? And I hate to interrupt. I, there's no, so much okay. I want to ask about that. But how much, how much of that did you have an understanding of? Well, that so interestingly enough, I mean, there's some shame around this, maybe, but uh, shame around my my behavior. The year before I found out, so I found out when I was in seventh grade, and he passed away the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. So sixth grade, they were doing this. I'm sure you've all heard of this thing called the autoimmune deficiency syndrome. Uh, and what does that mean? And let's pretend somebody in the class, it, you know, they were trying to do a, a, educate people through saying, what if this w- were one of you? How would you treat that person? And sort of in a really acty outy way, before I knew, you know, this wasn't any part of any of our realities at the time, I was like, oh, I'll be the person who has AIDS, you know, yeah, like, uh, you know, being uh, kind of raised my hand and be that boisterous kid that was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then it was like, yeah, and your brother has it the next year, you know? So I was like, my God, that I felt so bad about that. But because I think at the time I was like, whatever, you know, I mean, it just seemed so foreign to sure. these 12 year olds, you know, sure. sitting in a classroom, but well, and it was um, associated with, you know, a lot of activities that young people weren't thinking much of. I mean, you're, right. you're not, you're not having sex when right. you're 12. Most people, you're not intravenously using drugs. You're right. not getting blood transplants. Well, my brother, probably you're not your transfusions. You're not, you know what I mean? All those things. Yeah. My brother, um, came out as gay, by way of the fact it's like so i have aids and i'm probably gonna die so you should probably know this other reality about my life but oh god it was interesting because he became um and not he was obviously a very uh i mean he wasn't like a, a super femme gay person but he he then we could relate on the thing right when i wanted a sister like I boys were cute and he'd ask me what boys I thought were cute or we'd be sitting there. I remember we were sitting there at a Thanksgiving and remember, you know, so with a table with your family, it's basically just all these dudes and you and your mom are the, uh, me and my mom were the, the women. And then my brother bring in like their girlfriends or their, yeah, if there were, but they would be specklings of those people. It wasn't like everybody was made it up. And my, and my brother, Tom was like, just not, he would always want the like, leg of the turkey and he would eat it (laughs) he's actually and yeah so and he's asperger's autistic now diagnosed so it's like that was another person bringing in like a very real world thing that some people have only heard about you know sure so anyway so he was eating this big turkey leg i mean just we were just i was just this 13 year old being appalled at everyone's disgusting behavior (laughs) and my brother andy leans over to me and he's like oh my god they're monsters like (laughs) and i was like secretly like yes they're monsters and i why i don't want to be a part of this anymore because that that desire to belong so 
much in the beginning. It was like, ugh, well, what a barbarian, right? For I that know. to happen, you hit, hit adolescence. You're sort of I developing know. hormonally as a as a female, and it kind of maybe kind of a new and, way. And, and he wrote, he would write me letters, and he'd be like, "Are you going to high school next year? You're just going to be the socius soch that ever walked through the halls." And ugh. who are you dating? And he'd tell me about the boys he was dating, and he'd be like, "But then." And, and so and, how long did he live with it with you guys all knowing that he was gay and so so from uh t- from basically me being 12 he died about 3 or 4 days before my um 15th birthday so only 3 years really mm. but um he and he was he would obviously be hospitalized a lot of times in there and uh I um it was good because I ended up I volunteered at this uh, great organization that used to be in San Diego called Auntie Helen's uh, Thrift Store and Laundry Service, and we would do laundry for people that were housebound that had HIV. But yeah, he he it, it was oh, it's, it's it's so funny when I look back because where we were when the call came in that he was um, have in cardiac arrest and had been there for about thirty minutes. And they were trying to save him, and they were basically calling my dad to see whether or not he would authorize them to stop trying. We had been in a house, and my dad, sort of in a very impulsive way, had decided to remodel the entire house. And it and it had gone into uh, such bad construction terribleness that we had bought another house but had to sell it before the other one was ready and we were in this like two-bedroom apartment with me 15 my brother 18 my brother josh my mom and my dad and this call came in and then it was like my dad just screaming like god damn it you try to save him and my mom getting on the other phone going dick just let him go let him go and then of course, like there's nowhere to go. We were just in this tiny apartment and my dad's just like my dad because he's a doctor really took a very medical pride in trying to save my brother somehow medically. And my mom just it was like let him go and it was like oh I just remember it was so intense and I went out, I had a date with this dude that I had been seeing and I went out and I was like, I can't go out with you tonight. My brother just died. And he was like, okay. And then he never called me again. <laughs> well, what do you say? If you're just some like awkward teenage boy, like you probably just had no idea what to I'm say. I'm actually playing a words with friends game with him right now. Ah, that's Isn't so funny. that crazy? How oh, Facebook brings gosh. you back to these I'll say. people that you're like, seriously, I should never see that person again. That's so funny. But yeah. so, so when you're, so when your brother, um, came out was he like it sounds like everybody kind of was okay you know or well and did he feel he can- like do you think he felt like why didn't i do this sooner if it could have been like this or is it like here i ha- i'm doing this under this circumstance so you have to accept it because you might that lose was me. sort of how well no it it the re- again remember the reality at the time that he died it was like you are going to you die this yeah. is a death sentence so he absolutely um, it was like, I mean, you can love me for the rest of my life. Who knows how long that will be. Oh but that allowed my other brother, Peter, to come out who had been dating a guy since he was 18 and he is still married to that guy. Oh. He's been with him for over 30 years. And So like, so when Peter came out, did he did it happen pretty quickly after? 
Yeah, I mean, not as quickly as you might think, because it would be like, I mean, now I think we all assume that an open door to coming out should just be walked through, but I think everyone's personal fears can hold them sure. back from doing it. But he he did come out and um, and has been... Uh, I I I think that he's always loved the fact that he had a partner because Andy's the one thing I think we all feel sad about is that Andy died not really having that person in his life that yeah. you know might well whatever he he was a fantastic guy he was actually learning French on tape after he found out he's like there's so much i want to do i'm gonna learn french and he be in the hospital with like french cassettes he oh, was i love it i know he was awesome and he sort of became my angel through the rest of high school and college but it really affected me well, in was, high school yeah, uh, clearly that was my next question was just sort of how well, did that shape your adolescence in that way well on a psychological level it it first of all so so my adolescence past his death was a lot of you know outwardly i would try to counteract it by volunteering and and raising money if i could or food banks i i was sort of a um, student body person um into asb as they call it and uh i would those would my main focus was always aids related um charities but then the summer after he died I just had never been so close to, I mean, my grandmother, Mylita had died, but it, but she'd had cancer and was dying for a long time. Again, living with us, crazy. And then my, um, I've had so many people recovering from cancer that lived in my house when I was a kid because my dad would do the operations. Like my, my aunt lived with us for over a year because he removed a tumor from, and she would recoup at our house. It was weird. But that being said, so the summer after he died, I completely accepted that I was going to die too. It was just a fact. And that whole summer, I just, we would turn corners in a car and I would kind of almost open my, close my eyes and open my heart wide to accept that a car was going to plow into us. Like, I just believed and was totally okay with being taken like unexpectedly by death at any moment. Then weirdly, the school year started and I started feeling all the pressures of school and then it became, I'm going to die. And, and I was so freaked out about it. I was not ready to die because I had whatever, I had honors history to go to. I can't oh, die. Oh, I can't die Steph. today. I have a test, you know, but, um, yeah, it was weird. I, there was definitely a lot psychological. I mean, my, so to paint like a more um, general picture of who I was, I was totally the like, you know, freshman class president and, you know, student body president when I was a senior and the mascot and all of, I was this really overachievy person. Were you funny then too? Stephanie, guys, I, for those of you who don't know who I'm I was, not like, being funny now. So <laughs> funny and great. <laughs> no, but I was, I was uh, voted the um, most humorous or what of the funny person. Yeah, I was like, Definitely uh, acted out, but was also super straight laced at the same time. Anyways, the the weird um, part of again weird. Why is it weird? The <laughs> it's not weird. So I was I sort of to everyone else's eyes, I was probably living some kind of 
charmed life, which in fact, you know, I was a good student and I was a student leader and all that, but my home life was so tumultuous with all of these personalities parading through. And then, and, and your relationship to mortality is, is, that's very uncommon for most young people. But you know, high school, it just lasts forever, but it's just four years, but it really does last forever feeling. So that was sophomore year into junior year. And there was more acceptance by junior year of the fact that he was dead. And he actually came, to, I mean, he came to me in a dream and you, you, you can have arguments as to how a person really comes back to you. But if, if you've ever lost somebody and I feel very lucky to have experienced grief of that magnitude so early on, because it just makes me a more compassionate person to other people who are going, everyone's going to have this experience. So I just knew that I would think of him all the time, every day, think I was going to die all the time. But then I would only just go to thinking him every, thinking of him every day. And then I remember by college, I felt guilty because I wasn't thinking of him every day. And now I have known him dead longer than I knew him alive. Isn't, I mean, that's, I remember that when that, that is weird. You're allowed so weird. weird. (laughs) That that, that (laughs) actually is weird. The other thing's not so weird. Um, but, uh, what was I saying in, in terms of that? He came to you in a dream. Oh, he did. Yeah. So you can make a argument that that was my, myself and my own mentality or my, not mentality, my own um, brain basically dealing with trying to put a cap on how terribly I was grieving for him. So he came to me in a dream and I remember it was, it was like he was standing in front of me and he, I said, oh my God, I've missed you so much. I can't believe that I have, it's been so long. And then he said, I'm here to hang out. And he said, when your parents get home though, I've got to go. And so we hung out and I would tell him everything that was going on with my life. And then I heard the car pull up in the driveway in the dream. And he looked at me and he's like, I have to go. You have to let me go. (laughs) You just have to let me go. And um, I was like, okay you know and 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 i've had i've i definitely know other people have experienced that when they've lost somebody that that person will kind of in as as tangible as a reality as your brain will allow you to create or from a spiritual side that they actually might have come and paid you a visit of some sort but that they sort of come to say like release me you you're focusing too much on my death and not enough on your own life so did you go to therapy <clears throat> while this was happening? Was that something your family was I, on board for? I didn't. Again, oh my God, Janet, the the layers. Oh, because <sighs> I was going to say that this girl saw me uh, from high school and she said, are you going to the reunion? And I said, oh, I don't think so. She said, I know high school is so terrible. And I said, gosh, I know it was so hard. She goes, oh, stop it. You were a good student and the president of the student body and like oh. nominated for homecoming queen. She, she threw all of those outward things and like you had nothing to complain about. And I was like, no, I wasn't being ostracized by groups and things <clears> like that. <throat> My parents were getting divorced. You know, my brother was dying. My my mom when when I was in seventh grade, my mom um, uh, had w- had an eating disorder. She's was an overeater, so she she checked herself into an inpatient um, program. And so my dad basically we were 
living with just my dad taking care of us, which meant we like ate fiddle faddle for dinner and stuff. Oh my I God, don't know. fiddle faddle. I haven't thought about fiddle faddle in a he, long time. He was the kind of dude, because he was very machismo. So like if you, if we would get Chinese food, if you wouldn't fix him a plate, you like didn't, he didn't eat. Oh my. <laughs> that night. So even with the triangle ringing and the, no, and the big sloppy <laughs> Joe terrain, there was nothing that would bring him to the bar to belly up. <laughs> Fantastic. No, but he so so we went to therapy for that. So I was introduced to the whole codependency and all of that, all that jargon. And we would go to family counseling um, as the foursome of us. And uh, I'm sorry, but your so your dad went to medical school and he was a plastic surgeon. He was a plastic surgeon, yeah. And your mom was a registered nurse that worked in gotcha. his office as a as a. As an assistant for surgery, but then mainly... I just wanted at, to put that into in, context for myself. Yeah, in high school, she was a stay-at-home stay mom more. But um, went back to work uh, when I... No, I should say she was a stay-at-home mom through my like elementary school years and then went back to work in his office in high school. And the m- woman he's married to now was a patient of his, so she like actually cared for this woman while the woman was Ooh, having an affair with my no. mom, who I love... Lynn now she I mean she's a part of my family she's you know in love with my dad and married to him so for a long time now but anyhow so I only went to therapy therapy when I was a senior in high school um, because I I had like a legitimate I think I had like a legitimate nervous breakdown as a senior in high school like I could not take the pressure finally of all the stuff that was um sure swarming it was just uh and i couldn't get i i don't know what a nervous breakdown is i've termed it that because i couldn't leave my house or get literally leave a spot on the floor where i was just crying for two days that sounds like a break i would say that's a breakdown (laughs) yeah so that was when my mom took me to like emergency therapy and was like you need to figure out what is wrong with you but I just was somebody, I mean, I know you've talked about this before. I was just somebody who just felt tremendous pressure from everywhere to be okay by other people's standards, to also be, I mean, every every teenager feels pressure, but for some reason mine, uh, I just kept taking on more responsibility that I thought I should have and then not ever really dealing with consequences of... Uh, or outcomes from from real life activities like divorce and were you dating much i mean i know obviously the boy who never called you back but the boy who never called me back i did i dated uh some awesome guys they and i always so we had an all girls school and the all boys school was down the street and i didn't want to date anybody from there but at um a summer dance I went up to this guy who looked like Johnny Depp and I was like, I just want to tell you that I think you're really attractive. I was like 15. Love it. I know. I just was like swagger for days. <laughs> and I walked away and he found out my number and who I was by the other people at the dance. And, and then we dated for like a year, which felt like forever. Uh, yeah. That's a long time yeah. when you're a teen. And then he drove this corvair he was so, like a 1960 something corvair i don't even know what a corvair is a corvair just, is like i think chevrolet made them and they have like a um 
they had the engine in the back mm-hmm. instead of the front. And he would just, he would like fix old cars. He had like an Impala or an Invicta or something. Uh, we're all just picturing Johnny Depp in a character it's in the movie of your life. That's what we're all thinking about now. He was amazing. He was like just so stylish. And he would write me these letters. I, this is where I think people thought that I was having this amazing life, which I was. It was that, was, again, dichotomy because I had feel, some intense feelings of tragedy and then some gifts that were just, he would hand paint letters to me and draw uh i mean he would send letters to me every week and i still mm. have kept them they you could frame them they are just amazing how marvelous is that yeah he was just gorgeous greg and he uh was my first love and then um he ended up dating pretty much everyone i knew all my friends <laughs> that's not where i thought the story was going he did well because we broke up he was like i'm getting bad grades now and i think it's because we spend too much time together and i'm like i don't know what to say bro i'm still getting good grades so (laughs) take care of it if you want to but we broke up um and he yeah he kind of like went through a lot of my friends after that like about nine from, really yeah like he dated like nine girls that i knew they would all like hold my hand and be like i can't believe he is dating jenny or somebody and then they then they would go oh, excuse me my turn's up oh, <laughs> like, no. practically oh yeah. no that's so funny because we were talking about that before we started the podcast we were talking about um like whether or not we'd had the experience of being in communities where uh guys that we had gone out with had gone out with other people and i have perhaps purposely without knowing necessarily like subconsciously i just never i had that a little bit in college in the theater Mm. department because it was so incestuous but even that when i think about how incestuous the theater department is or was even that when i think about the boys that i dated like i didn't I bear like there there was like one girl who had gone out with one of the guys that I got serious about and like wow. the other yeah. guy that I got really serious about after him had been married very very young to a girl who had nothing to do with the theater department so I really picked guys like mm-hmm. I can only think of two times in my entire adolescence all the way leading up to like when I moved to LA and that's when everything kind of changed. And all of a sudden I was like dealing with people who dated in the same circles right. that I had that like a girlfriend of mine went I, two times. One time a girlfriend of mine ended up dating a guy I had like gone out with for a little while and I felt real weird about it. And then another time a girl dated him for like a, a different guy for like two weeks. And that was weird for me, but I never had I it like was girl code. I thought you like didn't do that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I really didn't, yeah, I just have no, I really have had like no experience with that until I moved to LA. Yeah, but again, I'm, I mean, some of them I'm not friends with necessarily, but it had nothing to do with that. But one of my best friends, um, still like we, we know each other's babies. Like she at one point dipped in the Greg pool and she's like, I don't even know what I was doing. He was just cute. It was like that. He was cute. He looked and like Johnny Depp. He man. looked like Johnny Depp. He drove vintage cars. He was an amazing makeup of everything a girl would want. Yeah. But I really was, I felt like it, um, but you got him for a year. It doesn't sound like any of those other girls got him for that long. I mean, it took nine of them to try. To- <laughs> <laughs> but then after that, I just threw myself like way out of the circle of anybody that I did what 
that that thing of I just didn't want to date anybody that could ever date anybody yeah. that I knew. So I would I started dating college dudes. What were, just, did you feel like? What are your because because I think that plays into kind of what your vulnerabilities are at the beginning of relationships. Like I've been thinking because I was not single for so long. Um, I've sort of had to like reacquaint myself with what my vulnerabilities are. And I think what I discovered about myself, what I had to, and looking back even on like my past long, long-term relationships is like the beginning was hard for me. <clears throat> I've never had a problem with trust in terms of like, I, for all I know, everyone could have cheated on me. I don't know, but I never, that's not something that I ever thought about. Um, so it wasn't jealousy in that way, but I feel like my vulnerability, um, it's so weird. I'm almost uncomfortable admitting this as much as I've talked oh, about on the podcast, but is like, it's not so much, it's not so much any kind of a jealousy that some, that I'm going to be left or that I'm going to be cheated on or anything like that. But I think at the beginning of relationships for me, I would feel a jealousy that was just like, it's just the jealousy of like a past intimacy, just yes. the idea that someone, I feel the, some the idea that someone that was there strongly. before you. Yeah. And I don't know where that comes from but i just think it's interesting in the context of talking about like what experience you had early on and like how you're you know like i feel like that's a more even an adolescent emotion that oh you're saying this is something you felt more in adolescence correct or or you still feel i think i i think that's my biggest i think that's one of my biggest vulnerabilities is like having to get comfortable with i don't you know what i don't feel it so much anymore now yeah because it is such a given like of course like you would you wouldn't want someone who hadn't had intimacy with other people so i I would agree with you i think why haven't any women been able to sign off on you this is i would say this is like (laughs) my 20s i think i would define my 20s as the relationships I was in late, late teens into my twenties. Um, I think there was this sense of like, how, like how could you have been with someone that you loved and were with for years before me? Like, right. aren't, aren't I supposed, like, I think there was, I think it's a special thing. It has to do with feeling special or there's some broken piece I, of, of me that felt like, I don't know, look, but I'll you're right. Honest, I don't feel that like that anymore. Le- but. I mean, the first, first boyfriend I had in high school in my freshman year was a senior named Jan, but everybody called him Jan. And he also drove, drove a, I was super into vintage cars, guys. He drove a, a, like a powder blue, um, beetle, like a VW beetle. Mm, Also has an engine in the back. Yup. Exactly. I like it in the back. The limit limit of my knowledge about cars has just been expressed. Uh, Yes, exactly. So that, so he uh, I was so naive with him that I thought that um, he went away for weekends at a time and he was on like meth or crystal or mm. something. Like he was, people were like, that dude's on drugs. And I only found about it when I when I broke up with him. They all thought, everyone at high school, uh, all the seniors in high school, the girls at my high school thought he was doing drugs. I thought I was doing, thought I was a big druggie because mm. how could I not know? Right. But I was that separated from the reality of i i was like why is his, why are his eyes all glassy that's weird he must have been crying <laughs> probably over me right <laughs> but yeah i just uh i <clears throat> that that first love that really first love with greg that ended in such a feeling of that kind of betrayal of just all these people that seemed to sympathize with our breakup then dating him just felt like i felt not safe and i did you I'm, carry that into future relationships? 
I did. I like I said. I it, it made me date people yeah. that just could possibly never know anybody yeah. from my high school. And then, um, I would say because you the why I'm reacting to this strongly is you use the word vulnerability, and I don't feel like I've <laughs> and anyone who knows me and has dated me could probably attest to this. I have not even experienced. I didn't even know the definition of the word vulnerable until about five years ago. I mean, mm. truly come to understand. And mm. it was with my now husband when we were dating and I was just fight, fight, fight going, come on, why doesn't he get this? And da, da, da. And my friend was like, well, have you ever tried to be vulnerable about that to him and just really let him know that it hurts you? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> like That <laughs> wouldn't be something I would show people was that I was vulnerable in any way. I just, again, with that, with the family set I was born into, we we all just sort of take each other out at the knees. It's a very like, you know, you just cut, it's cutting humor and survival mode. And I definitely know why I became a comedian because there was a part where if I'm the youngest and I have no voice at the dinner table, I would just... I would speak out loud and nobody would listen and I had to get louder and louder and mm -hmm. funnier and more intelligent and biting and you really have to see what's going to grab their attention and so clearly like the funniest smartest thing you can say is is going to rule so but th but that I just always I I have like a picture of myself in my youth like kicking and flailing everywhere just to try to sort of keep this fight up against a lot of things and I I think, no wonder you had a breakdown. I know. Well, it's so much work. Everything you were doing, processing stuff emotionally, not processing it, the the act yeah. of both processing and not processing. It sounds like you were doing a little of both. Yeah. You well, know what I'm I, saying? It's not like you were just shut down entirely to everything that was going on. At that time, what I mean, what was happening was I was in, so I was an honors calculus, which started earlier than regular school, but I had made this determination that I had to have a, a carpool to earn gas money. So mm -hmm. I would wake up at 5 a.m., I would, I would pick everybody up, I'd get to school by 7 to start class when everybody else started at 8.15, and then I would go through and I had you know, all honors classes and that whole academic rigmarole, and then... I was president of the student body, so I had to stay after school to do student activities and planning stuff until about four. Uh, everyone got out of school at two thirty or two fifteen, so I wasn't out of school until like three thirty or four. I would go home, but I was the lead in this play, this like professional acting company. So I would sleep really quick, and I would go to rehearsal from about six to nine. And I would come home and I would sleep again, but I would wake up from about midnight or one to like three to get homework done. So, oh my God. Because I couldn't. This I, is crazy <laughs> pants. I remember, wait, I remember waking up and first of all, I hated you two at that time because they were <laughs> being, being played everywhere. Yeah. You couldn't. And I thought that they were sending me like demon messages like. <laughs> Because I was so sleep deprived, oh my god! That I was just like, um, I was, I was listening to to the radio, and I would just listen to people on the radio, and it would make me angry that they didn't have to um, work so hard to achieve sure. anymore. Because uh, clearly, by virtue of the fact they're being played on the radio, they've succeeded. Yeah. So I was like, I would just get so bitterly angry resentful. I love of it. You too, especially like why? Oh my god! They haunted me. That's amazing. 
But yeah, that I couldn't. My brain couldn't keep up with the sleep deprivation, and of again, I, 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 what you just described was so much yeah. worse than I ever imagined for you in terms uh, of the commitments that you had made. But then, plus, like, add in, you know, and anybody that's like, I'm sure your listeners, if they're intelligent enough to have found your podcast, they are probably the type of, you know, person that really wants to achieve all these things. And and in high school, it's just gotten even worse. It's like, if you're trying to strive to get into the best schools and all that stuff, you're just taking on every activity that you can. And so at the time, I felt like I just had to do it. And, and I, and, and then I thought I should apply early action to any colleges I would like to get into. And they were all, and then all of a sudden I was just so depressed and things were, so if one deadline passes you, you failed. I mean, that because that's your future. Like, that's important, right? So I just had, yeah, it just ended up being this like, after the play closed and I had some time, I just had this like break and, uh, and my mom took me to counseling and things like that. And she called all the universities I was applying to and begged them to give me an extension for my applications because she's like, you don't understand. We have to move out of this house because it's been foreclosed on. That was another mm. thing that was like bankruptcy stuff I with my parents. Even, I it was so much. So it was like, she was being foreclosed on and then we had to move. And then she's like, and you know, she's just dealing with the fact that her father and I have divorced this year. And, um, she's really doing great. You really should take a look at her. So that was, I mean, I, and where did you end up going to school? I went to Yale. And my mom was like, I called everyone, even Yale. And I remember her saying that and me being like, you called Yale, mom? You know, Because <laughs> it was that moment of just like, if she hadn't have done that for me, you know, I just, I, I just couldn't handle all. I don't even, I really believe they should standardize like in some way most uh, college applications and then give you one like window to express the difference that you really want to. And it could be in any form, essay, picture, art, uh, a video of you playing football. I mean, whatever you would want to do yeah. football, I should finish that word. But because I just think these, these kids that are in high school, they have so much to do already. Yeah. And then you're going to make them figure out how to control their future. Cause we didn't have a, a very strong college, um, whatever gu- guidance counselor. So mm-hmm. God bless you got gui- college guidance counselors out there because if you, they're, these are teenagers with like yeah. hormones and boyfriends and activities and classes and they're supposed to do all of them impeccably to get into a college that's going to cost them like so many thousands of dollars that they're going to be yeah. in debt for a while. I mean, it's yeah. just the whole system is is crazy. It's a mess. We talk about that a lot at work, but do you? Um, I can't believe this. We're at an hour 10. I don't want to edit any of this out at all. And so I don't want to... Um, I could I could go for another three hours with you. I, I could too. I can't believe that while when we were talking before the podcast, I was like, "We got to save some of this with the podcast." And you saliently said, "I don't think it's going to be a problem." Yeah, you're so right because there's so much stuff that I would have liked to get into. Shall we end on the light note of doing a, a game of mash? Yeah. Would you like to play a little retro mash? 
What is um, MASH? You never, there, you must have I must not this. have had time with all of my activities. You probably activities. had too many no. student activities. I had plenty of time to no, look at MASH. No, is this like you pick where you want to live? Yeah, I'm going to ask you to give me three people that you uh, would like to marry. <laughs> Going old school, so it can be like celebrities, okay, whatever. It's I probably more fun I'm for the married. listener if. Yeah. Yeah, but this is teenage you. So this is like, would you want to oh, marry, God, you know? Teenage me. Would you want to marry. Uh, oh, Al- well, Albert Einstein was one of them. That is, is that so g- nerdy. Weird? It is so true. I had a I big full size poster of him in my <laughs> room. I've, I actually still have saved it for my daughter if she wants it. And I think Done. her answer will be no. Uh, you may be right. Uh, okay, so Albert so Einstein. Albert Einstein. Um, Oh God, J- Jimi Hendrix. Is that weird? They all were These dead. Are These are great. And who would be another one? Um, oh man, celeb. Well, let's put Johnny Depp because clearly I was yes. attracted to yes. the look. This is that is a marvelous list. Um, okay, three uh, cars that you would oh, like to drive. Oh, um, a hatchback, a vintage hatchback VW um, wagon. I love which that. I now drive the modern version of. Isn't that funny? I love it. Okay. Uh, geez. Um, oh, gosh. Car. I would. Oh, I really did like those Beatles. Those mm-hmm, were really cool. Mm-hmm. Vintage Beatles. You Beetle. love a VW. I do love a VW. All right. They're just practical. <laughs> I, I feel like it. I need to go American for I'm this one because I'm also very to be very married patriotic. to Albert Einstein and driving a VW. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, last car. Uh, last car. Let's uh, let's call it a convertible um, Mustang. Okay. Vintage. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? No, love it. Okay. Uh, three, that was me. Three jobs. School. Three jobs that you would like to have. Oh gosh, when I was in high school, I would have loved to have been. Um, a scientist mm-hmm. and just a general scientist mm-hmm. just tubes and beakers <laughs> okay love it um a, a motivational speaker great like on a speaking tour that would be interesting love it and <laughs> third would be um uh owning like a professional football team Ooh, but i guess you would great. have like a different god i couldn't love these more okay um, good three pets <laughs> a type of pet that you would oh. have uh, boa constrictor, which I always hate people that own snakes, but that makes me want to own one just <laughs> just to keep people guessing. I love it. Um, oh, I can't stop saying I love it. Okay, I know. Well, oh gosh, can Scott be an option? Yeah, I'll let you have Janet's dog Scott. Scott. He's so cute. Um, understood. And um, oh, don't really want an owl. <laughs> <laughs> The teenage me might have wanted one. Oh, no, nope, it's uh, going on the okay. list. Sorry, an owl. owl. <laughs> uh, it came up. How many kids? Oh, gosh. Uh, we'll go one, two, or four. Okay. I feel like three is just My cruel. answer was always like, how close to zero can I stay? Exactly. Um, uh, what am I forgetting, guys? I always forget something. Place to live? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like okay. a city. Oh, good one. City, I haven't been yes. doing city. Yeah. Uh, really good. New York. Uh huh. Chicago. Uh huh. Um, New Orleans. Just three, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great ones. Oh, um, and all right. I'm just going to do these. I'm going to pause okay. this for a second, and then I'll reveal the results. Um. Okay. Uh. Tell me when to stop. Okay. Stop. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, I'll be right back, guys. Okay. 
Uh, you live in a house in New York, so bravo Ooh. already on that. This actually makes a lot of sense. Like, this somehow feels real. Am I real. living this life? <laughs> yeah. You live in a house in New York with your two children that you had with Albert Einstein. <laughs> You're also a scientist. Oh. So you guys are scientists together in love with two children in New York driving uh, a Beetle. Who's it, our pet? It's, it's somehow, and oh yeah, I forgot. You have Scott. <laughs> you took my dog. I'm so sorry. Um, Scott, that's a really come here, good Scott. one. Come here. You're mine now. That turned out really well. Aww. He looked at her like, okay. okay He's totally walking over, go. stretching it out. Oh, he just stretched out oh, one. That beautiful. He, Scott. he took the time to stretch out each leg. Stephanie, thank you so much. This was uh, such a pleasure. Oh, and yeah. um And uh, for I loved me. having you on. And. Um, I think you're amazing. I think you're amazing too, Janet Varney. And I think that the you, the listener, is amazing. I say this every time, but just like Stephanie said earlier, for you to have been interested in this podcast in the first place, I adore you. Yeah. Uh, I adore you all. Okay. Um, well, we will uh, talk to you next time on the podcast. Come on, Scott. Let's get your leash. <laughs> <laughs> As always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.